0: Welcome to Love Extremist Radio. Being a love extremist means committing to and choosing love as joyful activism. I'm your host, Ethan Lipsitz, self-proclaimed love extremist. Love can exist everywhere, and yet, when talking about it, we all seem to define it differently. There are many environments and individuals to whom love seems lost, or was never there to begin with. I want to engage myself, my guests, and you to confront love, get to know it as it appears in many forms, and learn from others who have love stories to share. I'll focus on three frames of love, self-love, love love in partnership, and love in community. My intention is to uncover and share stories that shed light on love in new and often forgotten ways. Hey everyone, we're back again with Love Extremist Radio. I am so happy to have my old friend here in my house studio with me, Shira Ehrlichman. In Hebrew, Shira means song and poem. Born in Israel, raised in Brookline, Massachusetts, not too far from where I was raised, and now living in Brooklyn, New York, for those who don't know Brooklyn. Shira is a writer, visual artist, and musician. Her poems explore recovery of language, of home, of mind, and value the scattered wholeness of healing. She is currently on tour for her debut poetry book, *Odes to Lithium, which came out in September of this year, 2019. She's also the author and illustrator of the children's book, Be slash Hold, Behold, a friendship book. Her work has been featured in BuzzFeed, Reader, PBS, NewsHour, Poetry Series, The Huffington Post, The New York Times, and many others. And she's the bum. I have to say, Shira, I always love hanging with you mm-hmm. and chatting and going deep into wherever we go. And I also just want to honor that as a friend and someone that's been in my life since high school, um, I've always seen you as one of the most powerful and pure artists I've ever known as a human being, like someone who encapsulates art and expression in a way that consistently chills the bones and gives the goosebumps. And I want to thank you for that because that's my bio of you. Like whenever people ask me, who's this friend Shira you talk about? It's like, she's one of the, I'd say like pure is a weird word, but like, you have this purity of expression that flows through you that really has inspired me forever since we've met, so thank you for bringing that to the world, and exp- I'm so glad that it's showing up anyways. ways.
1: I'm touched, thank you.
0: Yeah, thanks for being here. <clears throat> so, how would you describe yourself beyond what I just read? Like
1: I think you, you? you see me, you see me accurately, um, I mean... That might sound like funny to say because you just said so many nice things about me. <laughs> but I think of myself, I think, as as creative. Um, and as I get older and the more people reflect to me, the things they see about me that I feel are very natural and I wouldn't have thought of otherwise. So I think it's so beautiful to have someone reflect to you like, hey, I see you as this way. And then I'm like, oh, really? That's just the way I'm moving through the world. And I think that's like the most beautiful part of kind of having a history with someone like us or, if, you know, building a friendship is you get to reflect and reflect and reflect all these beautiful mosaic-y pieces that make up another person. Um, but we were talking about how I see myself, which is I see myself as um, an artist and a maker, a creator. I see myself as a writer and a poet and a musician, a visual artist, Um, Sometimes one takes the forefront more than the other. Um, I see myself as a person who is living with mental illness and who basically sees the world through a um, time-fissured place, which means like when I was 22, my world changed the entire way I saw the world. Uh, It was like Wizard of Oz, black and white, into color, not necessarily directly black and white to color, but just that kind of change where, Mm -hmm. whoa this is a different place because my brain um, broke might be too simple of a word, but because let's just say it broke. Mm. So I see myself as someone who most of my interactions, most of my thoughts, most of the way I approach, whether going to get coffee or writing a, you know, poem or being with my partner, it, it is through the lens of, wow, what is the mind and what is the brain?
2: Mm.
1: How are those different? What is agency? You know, where do I, like the I, come from? Like the me that is cohesive, that I step into the world with? What is reality? How can I be sure? Um, All of those questions.
0: Were those questions that you were asking before your brain broke, before 22? Because I have seen you consistently as a um, a hyper-creative human Mm. um, with a prolific output throughout since before that. So
1: I think before it I was interested in oh I mean definitely like creative. Like yes. I was like in all these bands and right. making things all the time, but um I just didn't have like a it's also part of being a teenager like I didn't have s- sense of humility and I don't mean to say like I am humble. I'm so proud that I'm humble, mm-hmm. but just this sense of humility of like wow, I really don't know how no. everything works. Mm-hmm. And before I felt it as like, you know, I was like in love with Rumi. At 19, I think I fell in love with, like, Rumi and Sufi poet, and he kind of expresses this sort of manic, outrageous love for the universe that I deeply resonated with. And so that that was a part of me, but more from a place of answers as a than a place of questions. So I think that's what kind of shifted. And some of that might be youth. It might not be because my brain broke. It might be just because I was like, I know how it works, man. Like, yeah. you just have to think positively or, like, whatever. And then it gets more complicated when your main device for experiencing the world fissures and you know.
0: Do you think that that was because you were generally growing up in what would be considered a safe, protected, like you, you were supported by community, by family? Like what what do you, why do you think it was that you had that kind of like confidence of youth yeah. that was then shattered?
1: Yeah, I think everything so the book I just wrote, which is out of Silithium, it all works in concentric circles, meaning there is me at the center, or bipolar really at the center, then me around that. Then my family, then friends, then the medical community, then culture at large, then like the world even outside of that. And the book hopes to move through those concentric circles back and forth through various ones. So I might start with me, go to medical, go back to friends, go out to social. And so the question you're asking, that's also how I think about right most of the gifts and burdens we have as a human being is it happens in a very tight concentric space, like where the stone drops and then it ripples, like in that tightest ripple where we are. And then it also happens in the greater ripples of like our friendships that we are privileged to have or not have. And then the school we're in, you know, and all of the things that affect our personal experiences. So I think the question of why I may have been, I think I think of it as Early as being three years old and my parents just letting me do any creative thing I wanted in my room, my bedroom, mm-hmm. without any judgment, negative or positive, just like, oh, she sure was creating, and close the door for three hours. Right. And that type of safety, I now work one-on-one with folks teaching online classes and I've worked. I remember I had one session with, with a 70-year-old 70, 70 woman who wanted to do watercolor. She was a writer, but she was kind of like, I kind of want to do watercolor. And she had this whole um, experience and lifetime of her mother totally denying her space to be creative, to make visual art, to write. And in our work together, I could see the concentric circle of, oh, I'm going to be the space. This, Her and I are going to be the space that that replaces the voice of, you can't do this, or I'm judging this either way. It's really good or it's really bad. And so I think I, I have noticed the older I get, while I really had parents who let me do my thing. Yeah. And then moving in the other concentric circles paid for like lessons and things where I could expand that, but it from a really hands-off place. And I've recently expressed that to them. Like, I don't think they did it very purposefully even, Hmm. or I don't think they were like, wow, we're really, we're really sheltering her creative space. It didn't come from the kind of that woo-woo space. It was, it was more just, um, they just respected it. And to have respect Mm -hmm. as, like, a three-year-old doing whatever, like, playing with Barbies, it ripples outward.
0: It's so interesting I hear I've heard a number of folks talking about parenting from a place of treating your kids almost as peers in certain Mm -hmm. regard and, Mm -hmm. like, really respecting them as just fellow humans. Obviously, they need some support that, you know, an adult might not need. But that is such a beautiful thing. And I see it with your brother as well. He's also a highly creative human and expressive person. And so... It's interesting to know that backstory yeah. and the way that your parents loved you and giving you so much freedom and also providing the tools, right? Yeah. And you grew up around instruments, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. There was always people playing music. It wasn't really like, yeah, my, my dad played guitar, my mom played guitar, my brother plays, like everyone sings. There was a porousness mm-hmm. and an enjoyment of just like sharing. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't like, you know, Partridge Family or something, but it, it right. had a sense of access um and non-judgment mm. you know like sometimes I remember like if there was judgment I felt more like a peer like my earliest editor was my mom and I remember crying once because I at fifth grade or sixth grade showed her something I worked on for school asked her for feedback she gave me real feedback <laughs> and I cried and she was like sure you asked me for yeah. you know, and sometimes is she some Israeli as well? She's not, she's yeah. American. Yeah, my dad's Israeli. I was but you say like
0: the tough. I know is.
1: the tough <laughs> Yeah. So for her, but I think she just had a sense of like, you know, you could look at that many ways, like, oh that's yeah. too harsh. Yeah. And maybe it was. But there is a part of it that I felt respected. Mm. And I think that that is respect is so much a part of love. You mm. can't really love someone if you don't respect them. You know, I don't think.
0: And being respected is being taken seriously.
1: Yeah, and, and being left alone <laughs> it's kind of a weird way to put it but being left to like I think there's so much especially for women of t- caretaking and as a way to show like I believe in you I support in you this is the way you can grow but there's also something to be said for yeah take the guitar figure it out right you know like sure I don't I don't know the best way you probably know why don't you figure it out yeah yeah
0: that really shows in especially your approach to music like mm-hmm. it's very much like this kind of Your style, you know, Mm -hmm. it's it's very you and hard to emulate because you figured it out, Mm. which is cool. Um, Fast forwarding back to twenty two, I can resonate with this um, pre moment, post moment, brain relationships, and how perhaps you can use the word trauma. You can use any number of words to say it. Like it's kind of like a turning point in Mm. one's identity, one's life. And these turning points that often incorporate medical experiences, places in, you know, hospitals and dealing with medical professionals and so much of that. Um, it's its different for everyone. But do you think that those types of experiences are integral in growth? Like, do you think that that catapulted you into a different stratosphere as far as, like, how you perceive the world? Yeah, I
1: engage? mean, 100%. Yeah. yeah. It just was look like anyone can have an experience and everyone will take it differently. It's not like, oh, if you have a psychotic experience or bipolar experience or whatever, that means you're going to even heal or see the world in a particular way. But for me,
0: with the tools that you, with the tools
1: I grew up with, with the privileges I had with the personality that has been shaped, Mm -hmm. um, I know it. I mean, I don't even know if I knew it then how much it was. I knew I felt, kind of the ramifications of grief and trauma. I knew I was experiencing that every day. That I couldn't. My my friend Jeremy Raiden, who's an amazing poet, we were talking yesterday about grief and how, a shoe isn't a shoe, is the way he put it. When you when you're grieving, a shoe isn't a shoe. You're going to a party and people are laughing, and a laugh is not a laugh. Something is different in the air. And so even if I wasn't, if I was mostly dealing with grief and trauma then, as I started to integrate some of the questions of what is a self? What does it mean that my brain broke? Who was I when I was delusional? Was I still me? All of these really big questions that can only happen through experience that can't really happen on a, you know, in a lab or on a textbook kind of. Mm -hmm. Um, And so as I was growing and healing, and, you know, we're talking like 13 years since then, um, I started to see like, oh, I fundamentally cannot look at this image. You know when you see like a vase and the faces, that yes, old trick? Yes, yes. It's like that. It's like, I will see both.
0: It's like the FedEx logo.
1: Yes, with the, ar- yes, the arrow. Yes, the arrow. My God, my cousin told me that. And I was like, yes. <laughs> how did I not see this before? How? <laughs> and so that there was that. It yeah. was just like, oh, everything that I thought was solid is absolutely not solid. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, here I am, somehow quote unquote returned from a place where I was literally wandering, talking to trees. So how do you rectify that? And that takes some, that takes the capacity to hold both of those images, the vase and the faces and say, both are true. And how am I going to integrate this?
0: And just in relating to your new book, the title itself is a, owed oh, <laughs> to something that is a med- medicine yeah, right? to yeah. An a- like an anecdote a treatment yeah and so I'm curious as this evolution has unfolded over the last mm-hmm. 13 years how integral medicine and in the medical community is to you and what your experience of it is obviously it's not singular
1: right But like
0: when I talk about doctors and I talk about mm-hmm. hospitals do you feel like or do you feel like no, like I'm, I'm deep gratitude for that right. system.
1: You know, I think it is, um, I really like circles I'm realizing in my life. And yeah, so too. I like concentric circles, the way we're talking about a stone rippling the water and then it has this effect, this rippling. Mm-hmm. But I also love um, Venn diagrams. Mm-hmm. And so I think when we're at our healthiest, I just talked at Brookline High to a group of SWSers, uh, the school Ethan and I went to, and I talked to them about, there are all these pieces of identity and experience that are on the outer circles and the middle for me, the overlapping space is what I want to bring into every room. Okay. Like even if I am in some spaces engaging more with parts of me that are an artist or in other spaces that are more a jock Mm. or in other spaces that are more, you know, where like my whiteness is, you know, central to my thinking and, or a space where I need to back away and kind of not have that be central, Mm. you know, just all of those pieces they're all overlapping. You know how a Venn diagram works. Right. And when, when I really feel whole is when I can enter a space with that. So I think in thinking about the medical community, like it's it's the Venn diagram is a total shit show, am I allowed to say? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So like it's a shit show and it's bounty, you know. It's right. both of those things. And I have the book is a space of reckoning that both of those are true. It's it's not It's not either or. And that is... Also true, I mean, this experience of writing the book was also an experience of trying to f- see if I could fall in love with a medication that I was not in love with at the time. Mm-hmm. I felt ashamed to say lithium. I felt ashamed to, t- to take it. I still wrote about mental illness, but there was a layer of shame and protectiveness. Mm-hmm. And I started to kind of interrogate that and think, why can't I say this word out loud? Why is it such a boogeyman? Is yeah. this the concentric circle of me? Or is it the o- outside circle that is then rippling back to me and making me feel this way? Mm -hmm. So the book when I started it, which was about five years ago, maybe a little longer, it was, I didn't know it would be, it was an experiment to be like, I'm going to write an ode, a praise poem to this medication. And in the end of it, now I can say like, wow, I have this uh, center of the Venn diagram. That's what this book is. You know, I have a place of wholeness that I can read from and share with others Where shame is not protecting me, quote unquote, or leading the dance. I took shame out and we danced and I got to say, hey, like what is going on with you? Let's talk. So I think art for me is the vehicle with which I get to investigate these fringe areas Mm -hmm. and try to bring them into a space of cohesion and centeredness.
0: I completely relate to that in the context of radiation. Mm. So I wrote this piece about radiating, right? And for <laughs> me, like, it's called To Radiate. Yep. And the whole idea was Where is like, that piece, Ethan? It's on Medium, okay. the internets. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just you can find it on my Medium cool. stuff. And it was when I was going through radiation every day <clears throat> for um, six weeks. And I decided to redefine that word. Because radiation has its connotations, yeah. and um, you know, certainly, I was going through the traditional medical experience to a degree, and I wanted it to be light, and I wanted it to be my own, right? Mm. And so, I found ways to relate to radiating in other forms. So and how we beautiful radiate in so many different ways, and so I think what you're speaking to in terms of creating your like choosing, and yeah. we were talking about choice on our walk to the coffee shop today choosing how you relate to something that society might stigmatize yes and making a choice that you're gonna exalt it yeah and write for it and honor it
1: mm-hmm.
0: is in some ways i can relate to in the radiation thing i think it, in other ways i think maybe i was a little bit of a like bypass like no nah, radiation for me is just like all love and joy right right. right. Um, <laughs> sure. but i did speak to what i was going through and, and i and i didn't poo-poo it at all um But I do think that there's there's some really interesting opportunities, especially as we start to think about how as creatives and spiritual people, we engage with medicine. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What is that conversation? What is that dialogue?
1: Well, that's the thing is I knew it's very nuanced to identify and figure out what is making me feel the way I feel about myself Mm. for anyone, any human being. And part of the radical elements of our generation is being so transparent and vocal about, hold the fucking phone. I don't feel that way about myself. I'm no longer going to feel that way about myself. And you are not going to hold the reins on that. And that is love and that is power. And so for me, it, it was a moment of, I'd been medicated for a long time. I, you know I used to say thank you while taking my lithium. I had a private relationship with it literally in the morning, Mm -hmm. and at night I would say that. And I had had a private relationship with it. I also said thank you to the universe at night. When I was estranged from my family, when I was deep in deep grief, I still wanted to have that practice. So it's a part, it's like the medicine, the world, it was all a part of my way of moving through it. But nonetheless, even with those practices, there are those layers of self-perception that are shamed. And when culture is working specifically to make you feel less than, mm-hmm. it still penetrates. And so lithium now today, I would say five years after starting this project of Odes to Lithium, now I'm like, it's inc- I feel a love, truly, the way I feel for a human. And there's poems in the book of, I wish you were a person, Lithium, so I could tell you. I wish you were a man. I wish you were genderqueer. I wish you were a woman. If you were in each of these identities, this is how I would respond to you. Like there's just such a... um desire to thank it because mm. it was always saving my life and, it, and that doesn't always medication does not always save lives right so to have it be saving your life you have to acknowledge like whether you're a boogeyman or not in culture I need to acknowledge some people die from bipolar you know yeah. some people die from with after radiation and not having it work for them totally. so okay I have to look at you in the eye and say thank you and it was so funny because the way love works, right? If you love the fingernail on another person's body, you can love the hand, you can love the arm, you can love the body, you can love the, the person. Totally. And so for me, by I noticed, someone said to me, like, when they read my manuscript, you're capitalizing lithium. It's actually not capitalized. Mm,
2: that's and it, amazing. it was
1: because, and I have a poem about it in there called Chloe, which is about, I'm capitalizing you the way I would say, my mom is Beth with a B, the way I would say, My, you know, ancestors come from Poland with a P, a capitalization. Mm -hmm. And that just like radiation and the way that you are claiming it in your own understanding of what it means to radiate, which is really vital, um, there was a way that I had, without even realizing it, made lithium into a proper noun. Because lithium is a part of the periodic table. Mm -hmm. So it's not, it's like hydrogen. You don't, you know, or whatever. You don't capitalize those words. Right. Um, And, yeah, and to give someone a... A capital letter is to affirm them, to make them real, to give them a name. And so it was shocking to me that in this love project, in this ode project, mm-hmm. at the end with just the residue of that love was capitalizing that out. Do you totally. know what I mean?
0: Totally. It's so interesting. I, I'd say, in my, yeah, I relate to that now in the context of a, a medicine I take every day called Keppra, which keeps mm. me from having seizures. And... That daily regimen, yeah. right after the kind of like focused treatment, um, is a similar relationship there, and I love that you that you thank it, that you have this this gratitude for it. So I feel like we've been dancing around um, the topic of this podcast, which is kind of like <laughs> love, right? Yeah, yeah. And I I always love to explore love in different frames, and know that you have so much to sp- say about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm curious, just asking you, like the most basic question: What is love?
1: Yeah, I um I listen to this podcast, and I am a thinker about love. <laughs> I think understand. about love all the time. Yeah. and I I really struggle with defining it. Um, I talked to my partner of almost nine years this morning about. It. I was like, I'm going on this podcast, you know, Ethan. Da da da. What is love? We we're talking about it, and both of us started from a place of I don't know. Which I think is kind of special to be like, I've been with this person for almost nine years and we're both like admitting like, I don't know. Like, what is it? What is it? How do you? Are you in it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And like, it began as this and then it became this. Is it the same thing between mm-hmm. us? And, you know, not just in romantic love, but to, to do that. I think romantic love or a partnership of any kind where you are really living a life with someone is one of the most transformative types of love for mm-hmm. in my life so far. Maybe I'll climb a mountain and have, like, a transcendent mountain experience of love, but for me, that is the mountain. Um, and when I, you know, what I have come to or what I've been thinking about is that, for me, love is so much about clear perception and acceptance. And I think moving from a place of wanting to perceive clearly and then wanting to accept. And I mean that moment by moment, not just as a whole, but through discomfort, through bliss, through difficulty. And I think about some of the moments that I moved through um, the terror of a brain that is doing things, making things, telling you things that you don't have clear perception and you don't know whether to accept it. And how does love play out in that moment? How do you center yourself? And a lot of it is flickers of, I mean, I feel blessed even in my illness, even in my most deluded moments I had some flicker of at a moment just a a single second of wait a second and that's clear perception hang on a second Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. is what you're seeing what you're seeing and then throughout my whole acceptance has been such a huge part of being able to move into the next thing
0: so that clear perception that you were coming to was one side of kind of in these moments of confronting your bipolar, recognizing, okay, I'm seeing what's true. I'm seeing what's real. And I'm able to acknowledge that and recognize that while simultaneously you were mentioning kind of acceptance, right? And acceptance is almost like the flip side, right? Yeah. Cause it's like acknowledging, <laughs> you know, like your conversation with Angel. Yeah. You don't know mm-hmm. what is love?
1: Well, that's why it's so hard. Like, I think that's why I have a hard time defining love is because it shows up like she has broken for me. All perception of what I thought a relationship would be or who I would partner with I didn't imagine Angel, I couldn't have imagined Angel you know, and so love is about that, it's about that relationship but it's also in terms of what we were just mentioning where you know bipolar is even like a vague word, like if we're just talking about like I was watching ceiling tiles move Mm -hmm. after having a panic attack and I had already had this is, I had already had two breakdowns before, this is not new to me And I'm thinking, how is this happening? What is happening, right? We say bipolar, but that is the experience I was having, right? Right. That's the literal. And then I am trying to communicate with words while not being able to breathe, while seeing ceiling tiles, snake-like movements. And so clear perception. If I, there have been times in my illness where the snake tiles moving means I am shit and I'm a demon. That's like Mm -hmm. literally what it will mean. And I need to like hide. Mm -hmm. That's the delusion. In this particular case, it was no story. I just see ceiling tiles moving, kind of what a meditative glance would do. And I feel blessed to have had some meditative moments inside because so many people die because they're locked in the story of bipolar, of schizophrenia, of whatever is unfolding very accurately before them, whether it's true or not. And so I think what I'm trying to say is, what, how, how did the brain have that distance to say, wait a second. I am not what's happening in my mind right now. And I am witnessing something really, what is this? You know, like self-perception, clear perception rather. And then acceptance, it is happening. And then moving from there to the next second, which for me was on a gurney in a hospital. You know, like there's just, I'm even talking just micro moments of how do we know what we know? And you you get a major, when your brain is, doing things that other people aren't confirming, you get a major dose of, wow, this is really, being human is very strange. Yeah. And, and so I think I'm, I don't know how articulate I'm being about this, but there's a sense of love, self-love in that act.
0: Yeah, I think, I, like, to me what I'm hearing is, like, there's room for um, the, 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 your truth and your clear perception, even if it is not, like, I guess the, the, that question, your truth, yeah what does your truth mean because your truth in that moment was the ceiling tiles were moving right that was your truth is that clear perception or is that what is that
1: right so clear perception even that word right i like to use the word seeing and then i thought that's sort of ableist not many people Mm -hmm. gather perception through seeing so even clear perception is a weird word like You can go on drugs and have a a major transformative mushroom experience that then is unconfirmed by anyone else. And, you know, there are people that would say, well, very similar things are happening in the brain and bipolar that happen when you take LSD, and it's just happening without LSD. So how do we, what do we uh, validate in that sense? I always rest in truth is informed by experience, if you're lucky. So you might have experiences and not apply them to truth, <laughs> but for me I had had experiences of my brain breaking before it wasn't the first time and so for some reason it didn't always happen i had my brain broke after that too and I didn't always have that experience informing me but in that moment, I thought you know what I don't think the story i i don't i'm not it's like it's hard to talk about like agency in there because is yeah. it me or just that my brain is allowing um something allowing some kind of information to arise or do you know what i'm saying like it's if you are under anesthesia you're not going to have cognizant talking and thinking and stuff like that right so if i'm under bipolar there is room there it's a netting sometimes the light gets in and you're able to see it sometimes you're not but all i'm saying is that today right with you when i hold those experiences what i know is that in retrospect perception or the capacity to not buy into story Mm. and capacity to accept what is also happening not judge it and say this is terrible the snakes are moving or this is amazing I'm a prophet Mm -hmm. right to just see it which takes that's like why people meditate it's why people try to have equilibrium in their lives so you can be in the midst of a storm and be kind of the center of it and so that there's love in that. I don't think it's the same love that I feel with Angel who has refurnished my entire life, you mm-hmm. know, who has like changed my life yeah. um, in a way of in, in a more bombastic, loving, juicy, joyful way. Um, although I would say the residue of having a mind shattered and, and doubting perception, saying, asking the questions you asked of how do you know what is the truth there? Right. The residue of that is actually going on a walk with you this morning and seeing something beautiful and thinking, how, how did it get yeah. there? You know, or why does the tree strip that way? Or, you know, to show all those colors or why am I here? Why can I see this right now? Right. What in my mind is allowing moodiness or happiness or comfort or, you know, that to me, that, that question mark is not, it wasn't absent from the way I was living before 22, but it has just like anything, hopefully with age become, so meaningful mm. it's just so it's in everything it's in every day
0: well and your work speaks to the aliveness of the mundane <laughs> right in a beautiful yeah. way you know and it, the ceiling tiles very well could have yeah life within them right and and you know you're yeah, seeing that right is could be perceived as your truth, right? But ultimately, that could be a higher truth. That could be, you know, like yeah, and and the connectedness of all things. You know, certainly, I, I understand the idea of seeing plants, for example, the trees, and recognizing that they have identities, right? Yeah. They have stories. They have their own souls that are communicating with other
2: trees.
1: Yeah. And so,
0: yeah, I love how you're framing love in, <laughs> in this in this idea of perception. It's a very internal personal relationship um and it allows you to engage with the world around you in a very distinct way and it it reminds me a little bit of when I remember to just exclaim how much I love my life Hmm. and the sentiment I feel especially when I share that with who's around me normally it's Michelle my partner. And what I'm feeling is I love you, yeah. I love being with you, yeah. and I love this life we share together. Yeah. And for me to independently express my love for this life yeah. and my life is to have agency over it as an individual. Right. And also to share that with her to articulate like your presence in it is contributing dramatically. And I could say that to the ocean, I could say that to the tree, I could say that to so much more, and have at times, and have recognized, and I recommend this as a practice (laughs) for anyone listening, it's a really affirming exercise. It is, yeah. Just like saying thank you to your medicine, or to the day, you know, recognizing, stopping and thinking, like, what are these, quote unquote, maybe mundane, or things that we take for granted in our everyday, that all, all of a sudden actually can be elevated to the realm of magic.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And I'd say, that is a huge part of your art. When I asked you what love was, actually, I was thinking a lot, all of a sudden, about a lyric that Uh is one of my favorite songs that you've written, that is, love is a river. Hmm. And, what's the next line? Um,
1: And I'm barely on my feet. I'm
0: barely on my feet. Yeah. (laughs) Love is a mountain.
1: Yeah. Trying, what is it? Trying to find me. Find me, me, I think. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it's like that connection between, like, nature, right, and yeah. what's around us, and, and there's so much kind of movement in that, in that poetry, in those lyrics, so. Yeah,
1: thank you for that, thank you, <laughs> really, it's, it's nice to think that all along the way we're trying to define it, or understand it, or, you know, like, and I look at that Shira, when she wrote that, yeah. and I'm like, yeah, I vibe with that, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah,
0: I mean, it's evolutionary, totally, yeah. right, I mean, I'm, I was writing love songs, Way back in high school yeah. when we were jamming together, and it was like, Yeah, my perception of love was totally different. And I probably thought I knew it all, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. Just like you
0: said it, and it's like, <laughs> nah,
1: it's changed quite a bit. Yes.
0: Um, so I'd love to bring this into the realm of. You know, we've kind of spoken a lot about personal experience the I. and a bit about, yeah, and mm-hmm. a bit about the us in relation to Angel and our friendship and, and just your yeah. family. Um, I'd love to bring it out into the realm of. The we and the collective and like how yeah. you see the relationship between love and activism.
1: Yeah. Oh man, to me this is I would be so upset if we had this podcast and we didn't talk about that. It would be actually upsetting, you know, because it's they're they're so concurrent and the failure of many systems is to forget one or the other, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. So I often think about how therapy there's I forget the the I find therapy to be incredibly f- um, useful, mm-hmm. and it has been an absolute harbor for me in terms of just, whoa, the wilderness, and then I come back, and I get the safety, and I can go back out into it, mm-hmm. um, but I once read an interview in The Sun, which is not the one from Chicago, The Sun magazine, mm-hmm. with this psycholo- psychiatrist, I'm blanking on his name, but he wrote a really radical um, interrogation of therapy as being so profoundly um void of a social consciousness so meaning mm-hmm. if you go in if i go in let's say and i'm a white suburban mom and i'm talking about things that are very important the loss of my parent the you know my child what's happening uh, how frustrated i am that if misogyny race capitalism are not a part of those conversations what is therapy it's just this individualized and individualistic kind of ego feeding, um, journey. And, and I don't, yeah. And, and I, and I don't think it has to be, again, it's that, it's that Venn diagram. I don't think that that suburban mom shouldn't talk about those relationships. I think obviously we just talked about them and Mm -hmm. they're vital, Mm -hmm. but for me, especially as a white woman and as a cis woman and as, you know, coming from like a certain amount of privilege money wise, it's just ridiculous. It's not clear seeing and there, or clear perceiving mm. and therefore not loving mm. to to not look at it and say, what, how am I as a single agent interacting with a system mm-hmm. and how is that system wanting me to succeed, fail, be quiet, shut up, express, how is it inviting or denying me? So love, I've always, I mean, so much of my relationship with angel And my relationship with New York City and moving to New York has been about confrontations with my own whiteness, with my own privilege, with, and I don't mean that in a way of like, and so I sit down and talk about it all day. I mean it in the way of like taking it in, again, taking it in, refocusing, thinking about what I have centered in my life and perceiving that clearly. Why have I centered this in my life, X, Y, Z, whether it's like my opinion <laughs> yeah. you know about something or and so that's sort of what I meant by acceptance and clear perceiving is mm. that then you're moving moment to moment with an openness that the center what is it, what people say like the center will not hold or the center mm, is yeah. is not what is the center right. you know and um so yeah love and activism I think accountability has mm. been like the word culturally but also in my personal life Mm-hmm. For the last eight years, thinking about how accountability is an act of love, and any time I confront uh, someone's ignorance or misperception, or just ask them a question, I am loving them. I really mm-hmm. feel it. It's not just an idea. I really, in my body, and that's why it's actually so painful when someone else is defensive, because they're actually defending against your love for them. You know? Yeah. It's uh,
0: the, the the opportunity to be challenged is an opportunity to be believed in mm. right it's like
1: i'd never heard it that way yeah
0: it, but it's so true it's like when you present someone with a question you're 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 asking you're believing in them really yes. you're giving them a chance to explain yes and a chance not, it's not to defend themselves yeah but to articulate their truth <laughs> yeah right? and yeah there is a huge vulnerability in that and that can be confronting and some folks yeah. aren't ready to explain themselves or to articulate where their beliefs come from or to even be questioned. Yes,
1: right? absolutely. And I would say for me, that is, that is, that's loving is when you place that belief in someone else or that trust, um, at times, th- I found this in myself, this is an area of work for me. At times, I can just be, like, across the table and be like, yeah, why do you think that? (laughs) You know, why do you think John Wayne movies are great? Tell me. I would love to know. (laughs) Like, really, I would love to know. Tell me. And, like, have you thought about it this way? Um, But then other times, when it's more, perhaps more tender, it's a more intimate, it's family, uh, it's a loved one, asking, why do you love that John Wayne movie or something? It is more of a, if there is defensiveness or if there is difficulty, uh... I'm learning about how, nonetheless, I can hold the sense of love for that person mm-hmm. and let them do their work. Mm-hmm. Not, again, it's very gendered, but not go in and try to resolve anything,
2: mm-hmm.
1: tie it up, have it work out. Like, no, sometimes it's open ended. And as we were just talking about things, they're evolutionary and you can't evolve for someone else. Right. Um, but I see activism and love as uh, c- confrontation, looking, giving someone the opportunity to. And give myself the opportunity. I mean, obviously, right. in order to expect that from someone else, I have to be able to also question. Yeah.
0: I'd love to drop the ingredient of privilege into this. Yeah. Because it feels as though that is kind of always like a little bit of like the, um, the variable. Mm-hmm. When, we, when we step into spaces of activism and love, um, the level of, I would argue, the level of privilege we bring into it is associated with the level of love we can bring into it hmm. and many folks who might not identify with having a large amount of privilege in their lives may have not always but sometimes struggle to source the love that we may have had in our beautiful Brookline, right. creative upbringings yeah um and I, I guess I, I, I want to interrogate that a little bit. And I, I also don't want to make any assumptions that yep. that's not true because time and time again we see people who have gone through incredibly challenging upbringings to share right. immense love in how they express and how they share with the world. So there's no gen- general statement there. Yeah. I think just the question of those who are living a life informed by trauma or by hardship um, or by oppression and struggle... As activists and as people that see love and activism as being integrated and one and the same in mm-hmm. many ways, how do we acknowledge that, embrace that, and help you kind of spoke about like owning the story yeah how, how do we shift into uh, is it our job even to support folks in shifting into owner owning their stories in a new way?
1: do you mean specifically like as like white people? with a certain amount of whatever, all the privileges that come with that, whether it's class or whether it's whatever. Um, How do do you, what is the question then? How do we... How do we as
0: white people with immense privilege show up for folks who don't have white privilege? Yeah. Or um, any degree of privileges that we show up with, whether it be educational or class or creative or whatever it might be. Yep. Um, And is our role purely to hold the space and be there? Mm Mm-hmm. Or is there, do you think there's an active role an active yeah. participation in that?
1: Again, my mind just f- splits into Venn diagrams. Like that's mm. all I see is a Venn yeah. diagram. It's like, yeah, one circle is you better listen. Like right. that's how I feel. It's like nothing that I have come into consciousness about in terms of race came from me saying anything. Right. None of it right. came from me talking. Mm-hmm. None of it. Like that's actually like for me mind blowing. I talk all the time and my job <laughs> is to talk. But I need to be outside of that, and I need to listen and not listen to get anything right. listen because there it has not been heard by me in this body, yeah. and so I think one circle is you know follow people on Twitter, read books um, by folks of color, all but all, and like diversify that, diversify your your bookshelf. Um, consider the spaces you go into into your daily life. Do you go into black-owned businesses? Do you mm. only go into neighborhoods that you're comfortable in? These are all the most uncomfortable because they're the most literal. White people, I found, we enjoy concept so much. We love mm. to read the paper about something you know, and, and learn from that. But when it comes to the actual you know, cash exchange in your hands, where can you put money this holiday season? Uh, who do you smile at? Who do you think is... Uh, Who do you think looks welcoming Mm. to you when you walk down the street? Who do you think should be welcoming to you, right? Mm -hmm. Like for me, so much of what I've learned about love in that circle of listening is, oh, I had ideas about what love looks like that are white, that are just shaped by whiteness. You know, Mm -hmm. movies, Mm -hmm. um, books, Mm -hmm. my circle in Brookline that I was in, love looked like a certain thing. Right. And so then moving into other spaces, you know, being in a relationship, I'm in a relationship with a black woman, and there are very subtle things that happen between us where I think something looks like love that she does not.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, I think I used to be much more the type of person of uh, when you meet someone you are friendly.
2: Yeah.
1: Her lived experience is very different. It's not a part of her MO. She's a friendly person, but she doesn't feel the need to do that. And I would see it as rudeness. That is a key cultural, you know, experiential difference of what love looks like. Do I then say how rude? Or do I say what makes me centralized? What images have I been given of what love actually looks like? Maybe her love is protective. Maybe her love is about boundaries, which is the most beautiful loving thing you can contain with someone you don't know, (laughs) let alone with someone you do. Maybe it's about safety. So again, it's about Mm. perception, the ways I've perceived the world. How can I just listen and see if that can be shaken? A lot of people don't want it shaken, but you know what I mean?
0: That's such a beautiful point. I just want to highlight like the recognition of how we want to be seen, how we want to be experienced, what we consider to be love, and how that definition could be completely different for someone else mm-hmm. coming from a different lived experience than us. And those assumptions or expectations we might place on them. And we associate that with rudeness, right? But yeah. ultimately, yeah. you know, it's actually like their truth, their boundaries yeah. and totally respectful. Right?
1: Yeah, it's like now the way culture has shifted. I, I really have come from a place of some of it is whiteness and some of it is gender that has informed my people pleasing. And I have really come from a place um, well, I'll put a pin in that for a sec. Also, the people-pleasing was detrimental to my own health. Right. Mental health it when I needed is. it. Yeah. You know, and, and just to physical health, like a lot of it was extending beyond my capacity because of gender and race and the, the combo. Mm. Um, and, and so I guess what I was going to say is over time, now I am so appreciative of culture's uh, kind of, um, what's the word, like proliferation of the bitch? Like... The bitch, like the word bitch to me used to be something I would never say. And now when I get a waitress who like doesn't smile at me and just does a good job and like goes on her merry way and lives her life, I feel because of the the growth that I have experienced around what love might look like and protection and safety and what women are expected to smile, women Mm -hmm. are expected to be congenial and how much I love the space someone gives me to not be smiling and they can still be with me and it's beautiful. Um, Or just someone not talking to me, not expecting labor, like if I'm in the back of a lift versus if I were a man in the back of the lift and how that person, the man who's driving me, might engage differently. And I've ridden in lifts with other women and with men, and it's a different experience. And so I think what I'm trying to say is the reading of um, autonomy, space, uh, what my parents gave me as a Mm three-year-old, that type of spaciousness is love as well. And so that concentric... The, not concentric, that Venn diagram, that one circle of listening is a really about creating spaciousness, porousness, uh, the ability to see things from a new way without having to judge bad or good yet. Just let it be. L- listen to someone else's truth. Take it in. And sit with it.
0: Awareness is coming to mind. Mm-hmm. Just like practicing awareness. And awareness is not Again, can be so informed by where we come from, and yet it doesn't have to be like our awareness can be um, challenged mm-hmm. and, yeah. and, and redefined we're We're coming to unfortunately an ending point um, at, at this juncture, and you and I can go on for mm-hmm. days having conversations about this, and there's so much nuance and and spe- specificity to this mm-hmm. um. I was hoping um, we could get to maybe a a short work if you would be willing to read something from Odes to Lithium. Yeah. And then we can share how to find you and um, maybe a a love song and take us out.
1: That sounds great. Let's see. I'll read. Ah, I know what I'll read. Okay. Where are you, friend? Hmm. Here it is. Okay, this is a postscript to Mania. So it's like after Mania, whether it's a day or a year. In this case, it's like many years. What would I say? P.S. Sweet. It's not easy dying every second for the sake of some mission. What the fuck-ologist leading me by the softest whim toward the blade? Chicken wire undulated behind my lids, and the sky looked beat to death. I've been going through my files. Who was that? At what precise moment did my brain tattle on itself? Everything was a wick. Even God was worn down by my false sirening. It's not easy dying without dying. Before I ever took the pills, I took so much. So much was taken. I'm done. I'm here. A fish thrown back to the river. Can't help but swallow fistfuls of self.
0: Wow. That was beautiful. Um, What is the title of that?
1: Postscriptomania.
0: Postscriptomania. Odes to Lithium by Shira Ehrlichman. Yeah. Shira is such a joy speaking to you. How do folks find you? What's the best way?
1: Yeah, you can find me at officialshira.com that has like everything. And yep. then in terms of the Soshi, you can find me at Sheer. It's S H E E R underscore A W E. So Sheer Awe. Mm-hmm. And that's on Insta and Twitter. Wordplay. Yep.
0: Wordplay. <laughs> Take us out. What's your favorite love song? It What's the jam?
1: Was brought into my life by my love, Angel, and it is Sade's "Lovers Rock."
0: Beautiful. Sade is a great, mm-hmm. great choice. Thank you, Angel. Thank you, Shira. Yeah. This has been Love Extremist Radio. <laughs> At it
1: again. Thank with you an epic so much. Conversation. Thank you for holding this space and like just creating a chance for us to talk about this thing that is the most important thing and not always talked about.
2: Yeah.
0: And yeah. we've been friends for a long time yeah. and we haven't really had this conversation. No, it's beautiful. <laughs> and there's a lot more to have. So <laughs> Amen. yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, great. Well, please check in. Uh, one thing that's really important about this is um, leaving ratings and comments on your favorite podcast platforms, especially iTunes it really helps more folks find this love and share it. So hope you can take a moment to do that really appreciate you listening and we'll see you on the next one peace